0: Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our teaching team. And before we dive into this passage today, we have something that we need to celebrate. And this passage actually kind of sets the stage for it because what you have in this text is uh, Jesus taking just one person's kind of limited gift and multiplying it in a way that is profound and that uh, provides more than uh, anybody ever needed. And so uh, a a number of years ago, we started an initiative called Home Away From Home. And that initiative was to be able to try to uh, break ground and begin construction on the property that's directly west of here. In fact, if you look out the doors, you'll see that uh, project is underway. We're just a few months from it being completed. And when we did that initiative, we said, listen, we believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere and that Jesus wants as many people as possible to find an eternal home in him and that the church gets to be a kind of preview of that. We get to be a taste of that. We get to be a home away from that eternal future home. And with so many people that aren't from here, we felt like the church is this place that can provide community and connection and family to so many people who don't have it. We wanna be a preview of that. And so we asked you a number of years ago, would you start giving over and above your regular giving? Would you even make a commitment for three years to give on a regular basis with this goal that we wanted to try to raise $1.8 million by the end of 2019? Well, we are here to celebrate today that as of last week, we just passed $1.8 million given in cash 10 months early. So yeah. So thank you. Uh, That is incredible. That is so uh, such a good thing, and I feel like it is such a picture of this story where this boy has these loaves and these fish, and God provides abundantly beyond uh, what they needed. So thank you so much for giving. Thank you for those of you who'd made commitments and gave. Thank you for those of you who didn't ever make commitments, but you still gave, and how you just have been generous in that. I want to take a minute and just a moment and pray. Uh, But before I do that, I, I do want to address those of you who might now be thinking what uh, Molly and I were thinking as we began to hear this news, which was, oh, wow, we made a commitment through the end of the year. I guess we don't have to keep giving. It's amazing. Score. We, you know, like we, we don't have to do that. And I want to challenge you that if that's you and if that was your flinch, hey, you're in, you're in good company. That's how I thought too. Um, but I want to challenge you to actually continue to fulfill your commitment. Join Molly and I and continuing to fill your commitment. And, and the reason is kind of twofold. One is it's just good to fulfill commitments. When you make commitments, you should fulfill them. The second one is the more money that continues to come in in terms of cash means the less money we have to borrow, which means more money, money freed up for ministry and developing leaders and impacting our community and stuff that isn't just going into a building. So I would love for you to continue to do that, but God is faithful and gracious to us, isn't he? And so let's take a minute and let's pray and give thanks. Father, thank you for the way you have provided financially for this church so many times over these last 10 years. God, thank you for your uh, faithful and generous provision to us, God, through the sacrifice of so many people, through their generosity. uh, There are a lot of people who uh, aren't doing the same kinds of vacations or buying the same kinds of things or... Uh, people who have tightened up in some other ways in their lifestyle so that they could give to this. God, thank you for that. Please keep honoring that. Please keep using those gifts to be able to reach people so that people who don't know you could find a home in Christ. God, use us as a church to be your representatives in this community that we might be the best friend this community has as we point them to Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Amen. That's awesome. So, uh, what we're doing in this series right now called Love Walked Among Us is each week we're looking at a story highlighting a, uh, an interaction that somebody or a group of people have with Jesus. And the idea here is simple Jesus is God. The scriptures say that God is love. And so, when Jesus is walking around and interacting with people, it's love walking among us. And so rather than going through just one book of the Bible, which is often what we do, what we're doing this time is we're just picking portions from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that highlight the love of Jesus and the interactions that Jesus has with various people. And so uh, we're probably, I don't know, we're most of the way through it. It's just kind of here through the rest of Easter. And so uh, what I'm struck by as we've been going through this series is we're now at a point where I feel like we've talked a lot about what love is. We've shown a lot through Jesus what love is. And and really when you think about it, it's not that hard most of the time to figure out what what the loving thing to do would be. Sometimes it's really hard, but but most of the time it's pretty clear. If you said, what does love require of me? It's pretty easy to figure that out, that's not that hard. Here's what's hard, wanting to do it. It's not that hard to figure out what the loving thing is to do, it's hard to, to, to want to do it. And it's really hard to want to keep doing it if the thing that love requires isn't just a short and sweet, in and out, nice and tidy kind of thing. If it's an enduring kind of love, if it's an enduring kind of sacrifice, if it's an enduring commitment, it's really, really hard to stick with it, isn't it? It's not that hard to know what to do to love. It's hard to want to do it, and it's hard to keep doing it. And so it raises this question for us of how do we have the energy to keep loving? Where do we get the ability to keep giving of ourselves, to keep laying our lives down, to keep serving other people? I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of days when I come home and I'm just beat. I just feel like, man, I I worked hard today. I interacted with a lot of people. And, you know, just this week, I I came home, I think it was Wednesday, and Molly said, how how are you doing? And I was like, I'm fine. (laughs) Fine. and it just you know if if you're and if you're like me right if you're a mom you're like this all the time you're just always tired right but if you're like me there's a lot of times when you just you're beat and you go i don't know if i can just keep giving of myself how do you find the energy to keep loving when it feels like that And how do you endure over time? I I was with our uh, care ministry on Thursday night, a bunch of people that that are really the front line of love in our church that provide meals to people during times of need. We've got a whole team of people that sew quilts and pray over them and deliver those to people who are homebound or who are in the hospital or just face various different challenges. These are people who pray. These are people who provide counseling, right? About 60 or so people, I was with them on Thursday. And a lot of what we were praying for was, Lord, give us the energy to keep going. Give us endurance to keep loving because it's really hard. How do you find the energy to love? We're going to see in this passage uh, what Paul Miller, he's an author who's reflected a lot on this passage. He he calls it kind of a chain of love. We're going to see four different pieces that are connected in terms of how Jesus loved. And I think we're going to actually find where Jesus got the energy to keep loving, to keep pouring himself out when uh, there was so much pressure on his time, and even on his energy. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, This, by the way, in in John 6, uh, this is uh, one of four places this is recorded in the Gospels. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 is just representing the number of men. If you include the women and children, it's probably more like 10 or 12 or even 15,000 people. So this is a big deal that this is the only story that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It tells us that this is really important. And as we look at these first 15 verses, we're gonna see four components that make up this chain of the love of Jesus. So the first one is this, is compassion. First here we see Compassion. If you have your Bible, look at it with me in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. Jesus has been healing, Jesus has been teaching, Jesus has been casting out demons, Jesus has been bringing the kingdom of God into the world, and so it draws a crowd. It's noticeable, people have, you know, their, their attention is, is piqued. Verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. In Mark's telling of this same story, uh, he says this, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Many commentators have actually pointed out that this whole story brings to mind Psalm 23. Listen to what it says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And so here's Jesus looking over at this massive crowd and he's having compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. He wants to lead them into green grass and nurture and feed them. He's filled with compassion. Notice Jesus is not irritable, he's not grumpy, he's not testy, he's not short-fused. That's how we are when we're in the midst of a crowd, aren't we, right? We're in the time of year where it's so nice in Arizona and all these people are coming here and some of you are actually rearranging places you do and don't go because you don't wanna be in a crowd, You don't want to fight the traffic. You don't want to deal with a weight, right? And if you're like me, you just go, man, if I'm around a bunch of people and I feel like I'm always being pressed or I feel like I'm just waiting forever, ugh, I don't want to do it. I get irritable. I get grumpy. I get testy. Not Jesus. Everyone is crowding around him and everybody wants something from him. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Think about that. And yet he doesn't get irritable. Instead, he has compassion. I'm so easily irritable and grumpy and grouchy and testy. I, just even as I was preparing this message, I was uh, sitting in a coffee shop while I was waiting to meet somebody. And, uh, and I was working on this and I was just kind of overhearing these two guys sitting next to me and I just thought, these guys are idiots. And then I'm like, Lord, I'm preparing a message on your compassion. God, I need your help. I mean, it's just like, it just does not take anything for us to just go, you're stupid, you're dumb, I don't like that, I don't like this, right? We're just so testy. And and, and here's what I was thinking about as as I was judging them, as I was thinking, how many times could Jesus overhear me and go, what a moron? And he doesn't he's kind, he's compassionate, he's he's sympathetic, he sees, oh, these are like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, Jesus sees us, Jesus cares about us, Jesus loves us, and Jesus likes us. Jesus loves like nobody else can love, and it's marked by his compassion. Compassion. But Jesus doesn't just have compassion where he kind of sees that there's all this need. He also has the power to do something about it. And so that's the second uh, link in the chain of love is Jesus' power. That's what we see in verses 5 to 17. Look at that with me. It says, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. I like that John adds that. Like It wasn't like Jesus was going, hey, guys, uh, you got any good ideas? I'm stuck. What do we do? No, he was just saying, hey, what do we do here? Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. A denarius was about a day's wage for a laborer, and so 200 denarii would be about eight months worth of salary. So he's saying, listen, if we had eight months of salary, that would be enough for people to just maybe get one bite and pass it on. Like, no one's going to leave satisfied. No one's going to leave full. Like, that isn't going to do the trick at all. This is a huge, swelling crowd, thousands and thousands of people. It says in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so, as, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they'd eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who'd eaten. When I think about this little boy, I, a number of questions come to mind. You see that little boy that's mentioned here in verse 9? There's a boy with these five, five barley loaves and two fish. My first question was why does this little kid have so much food? Like, he's the only one with food. What happened here? And I started investigating that, and, and what a number of the historian-type folks that I was reading, they said probably what's going on here is he probably these fish were probably pickled fish. So don't think like a full fish with its skeleton, but the, the meat's been removed, and it's probably been pickled, and so it's a bit maybe like you might have a can of tuna fish. That'd be the kind of thing he's got. And when you think five barley loaves, right, I'm thinking like these big like Panera bread style like loaves of bread. Like what's this kid hauling around his five loaves of bread with? But in in reality, this is probably more like five little cakes, almost more like crackers. So think about it. He's kind of got his like tuna fish and crackers lunch is sort of what he's got. So he doesn't really have that much food. The, the second thing I was thinking as I was thinking about this boy is I was thinking about my brother-in-law, Zach. Um, my, my wife is the oldest of five kids, and she grew up in a family. They were almost all athletes, and they were really, really hungry. <laughs> and so uh, when, when Betsy, my mother-in-law, when she would show up with groceries, it would be like 48 hours before all the groceries were gone, all the milk, all the cereal, all the granola bars. I mean, they would just descend on the kitchen, and it was just a feeding frenzy, and it was gone. And so my brother-in-law, Zach, who's like this really sweet guy he decided you know what i see what's going on here and so he started taking boxes of cereal and granola bars and hiding them up in his room <laughs> but it's not what you think he wasn't doing it so that he could eat them all himself instead he was just rationing for the family so that when they would run out of cereal and granola bars he would bring one back down so that they just wouldn't finish it all in 48 hours I mean, like what a sweet guy isn't that amazing And so I'm thinking, maybe that's this kid. Like, listen, all y'all forgot lunch, but I have some. Would you like to share? Right? Like this just sweet little guy. And then I just thought, what did this kid tell his parents when he got home? Wow. What a story he had to tell. And this story he had to tell is this story of Jesus' unbelievable power taking this limited amount of food, this lunch of fish and, and bread and multiplying it. Look at how much people get to eat there. It says in, in verse 11, they ate the fish as much as they wanted. Verse 12, when they had eaten their fill. So right, this isn't like everyone got a bite and pass it on. It's like everyone got as much as they wanted. They were full. And even then it says in Verse 13, they gathered up all the barley loaf fragments and filled 12 baskets with that. Again, this should make us think of Psalm 23. Jesus does not just have compassion on people like a sheep without a shepherd, but he leads them. Did you notice how it says in verse 10, there was much grass in the place? Why does it mention that? Because Jesus is a shepherd leading his sheep to green grass. It says this in Psalm 23 as well, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The picture of God's love in Psalm 23 is a picture of God providing abundance, far more than is needed, and that's exactly what Jesus does here. His power takes limited, small, insufficient resources and makes them more than enough. Let me ask you, Do you trust? Do you believe? Do you have confidence that Jesus can multiply where you lack? Because I know if you stopped and think about it for a little bit, you you could identify all sorts of areas where you lack. You might say, you know what, I've got a little bit of wisdom, but I'm just facing this decision. And and it's not just an easy either-or question. It's like, it's like this decision tree has lots of branches, and I don't know what to do, and it feels like a lot of weight, and I'm not sure. Listen. Do you believe that Jesus could multiply the wisdom that you lack? Maybe you say, you know what, oh man, I'm so impatient. And I'm just always kind of on knife's edge. And I'm always just kind of irritable. And and, and even if I'm kind to people, it's just always rumbling there, this anger below the surface. Do you believe that Jesus could supply the patience that you lack? Maybe you look at your checking account and you pull up the app on your phone and you realize there's a lot more month than there is money. Do you believe that Jesus could provide what you lack? That he might supply your needs through the body of Christ? That he might suddenly make it where things are cost less than you expected? That unexpected money might come? Would you, would you bring Bring your lack to him and say, Jesus, would you multiply it? I feel like this sometimes with my time, with my energy, right? Where it's like, I have a little bit, but I need more. And I'm running out of it. And so I'll pray, God, would you multiply this time? Not like, God, would you give me more time? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? But like, God, would you help this time? I have, I have 15 minutes to invest in this thing. Would you make it so impactful that it's as though I invested an hour in it? God, I have this person, I really want to spend time with them, but my time's limited. Would you make the time I can spend with them so impactful that it's as though we had gone on a retreat together? God, would you multiply where I lack? That's what God does in Christ. He not only has compassion where he sees the areas of lack that exist, but then he meets those needs with the little resources we have, and he meets them more abundantly than we could ever do on our own. What an amazing shepherd. Here's the third piece of the chain that we see. And this is staggering, especially in light of the last one, is humility. In Christ, not only do we see compassion and not only do we see power, we see incredible humility. Look at what it says in verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he'd done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Right? They'd heard about the signs he was doing on the sick. That was up in verse 2. They'd been hearing about all this. And now they see this. And this is almost certainly a reference to Deuteronomy 18, which was this prophecy that uh, after Moses, some other prophet would come, kind of like Moses. And these people know, just like Moses had provided manna in the wilderness, manna was this kind of bread-like substance that when the people had cried out and they needed bread and there wasn't any because they were in the, the wilderness, God was providing this manna every day. This bread, this bread like flaky substance that you would collect. And you couldn't collect more each day. You could only connect enough for that day. If you collected a whole week's worth, it would spoil. And so, day by day, you had to depend on God. And day by day, through Moses, God provided this manna. These people see oh, my goodness, this is now God providing not just manna, but bread. This is the prophet who's to come. Look at what it says in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Listen, Jesus over and over is very comfortable saying he's come to bring a kingdom and he's come as a king, but he didn't want to do it in this way and he didn't want to do it in this timing. He knew that his kingdom was coming not through him triumphing over Rome, but by him surrendering his life to Rome so that he could save people, not just from the tyranny of Rome, but from the tyranny of sin. And so the humility that this takes to have everybody clamoring, right, they're they're actually starting to maybe connect the dots, they're maybe seeing him the way he really is, and rather than embracing it, he has the humility to withdraw To say, not now, not in this time, not in this way. It says in verse four that it was the Passover, which means there was a kind of nationalistic zeal going on, right? This would be like their 4th of July, patriotism's at its highest. Wow, this is our deliverer. I mean, this explains kind of the the ramping up of energy to crown him king, and instead he withdraws. I love what commentator D.A. Carson says about this. He said, Jesus himself knew That the way his kingdom would triumph would not be by beating the enemy in siege warfare, but by dying and rising from the dead. He would go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear and bring the judgment, but to receive the spear thrust and bear the judgment. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is powerful. And Jesus is humble. The question is, where do we get those things? Where do we get that kind of compassion? Where do we get that kind of power? Where do we get that kind of humility? And the answer here, you almost miss it if you just read through this, but the answer, I think, is in verse 15. What we see in verse 15 is that the thing that that ties us to this energy to love is Jesus' dependence. His dependence, look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Over and over in Jesus' ministry, he is withdrawing to pray. He's not, get this, he's not doing what we're doing. We're like, I can't handle the traffic. I'm just gonna stay in my house, shut all the windows. I don't wanna do anything, right? He he can totally handle that, but he's saying, listen, I need to go be with my father. I need to go pray. We we quickly think, well, Jesus could do all that stuff because he's God. Now, is it true that Jesus is God? Yes. Don't hesitate on that one. Yes, that's true. But get this. Jesus is not using his divine power to do these things. Rather, he's doing these things filled with the power of God through the Spirit. That's the whole point of in early in Jesus' ministry, his baptism, is that the Father is declaring, this is my Son in whom I am pleased, and the Spirit is descending. And from that point on, Jesus is doing everything in the power, not of his own divinity, but in the power of depending on the Spirit. Jesus is very aware of this. Look at how he describes this just in this book of John, in John 6, just a little bit after what we read. Look at what he says. For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is totally aware. I'm dependent on the Father. In the chapter before this, John 5, he said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I can't do anything on my own. I can't do this just in my own strength. I'm depending on the Father. John 4 Passage we'll look at here in the next few weeks. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What what fuels Jesus? What empowers Jesus? What strengthens Jesus? It's, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He is feeding on the power of God. Dependent, reliant, reliant, And so when Jesus has all this pressure, all this attention, all this people ready to do it their way, he steps back and says, no, 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 I'm going to depend on the Father, because there's more love that has to come, and I need more energy to keep loving this way. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus says, my food's to do the will of the Father, I'm feeding on the Father, here's the question for us today. What are you feeding on? What are you feeding on to fuel your ability to love? This whole series has been calling us to love like Jesus. It's easy to see what we ought to do. It's hard to want to do it. It's hard to keep doing it. We need fuel. What are you feeding on to fuel your love? Where do you get full from? See, everybody's trying to get full somewhere. Everyone's trying to get satisfied somewhere. Everyone's trying to get energy somewhere. And if you don't get it from the right source or well, you get the wrong fuel, you, you, you run out of gas. I've told you guys before, I'm not a runner. I know that's shocking to hear. But I do run, right? I really more like lumber. I don't run. I just lumber, right? And so I don't run a lot, but I, I, I run uh, on a somewhat, you know, a few times a month kind of thing. It's more than you, <laughs> before you make fun of me, maybe once a week or ish. Anyway, but here's what I've noticed, right? I'm not a runner, but here's what I've noticed. I, I have a different kind of energy when I wake up in the morning to run based on what I ate for dinner that night before, right? And I'm not some finely tuned athlete, but I can feel the difference between when I had a real kind of heavy meal and when I didn't. It's the same thing in our ability to love. What you feed on will dictate how far and how deep you can go in love. Everyone can love to some degree. But if you want to keep enduring in love, you need to feed on Jesus. What are you feeding on? Some of us, we're feeding on approval. That's what really gives us a source of satisfaction. That's what really makes us feel full is when people who are important to us or people sometimes we don't even know approve of us and say, wow, you're really important. And man, that was a really good job. And so we feed on approval. Here's the problem with that. You can love if you feed on approval, but only to a point. Because once you start loving people that everyone else is going to look down on you for loving, you stop. Maybe what you feed on is comfort. What makes you feel satisfied, what makes you feel good in life is is a comfortable life and a secure situation and the ability to relax and be comfortable. That's fine. Listen, if you you feed on comfort, you can still love, but only to a point. Because at some point, love is going to call you to do something that's uncomfortable. You run out of gas. Maybe what you really feed on is money and stuff and kind of economic security, the the security that's provided by having what you have. Listen, you can still love, but you'll stop loving at the point that it costs you. You know what I'm saying? Where where do we feed on that gives us enough energy to keep loving like Jesus? Jesus. Some of us, it's just even our physical well-being. We, that's what we feed on. We feed on, did I get enough to eat? Did I sleep well? How do I feel right now? And that's a really important question, especially if you endure chronic pain, if you're enduring disease, if you're enduring sickness, you, you know how important that is. But if that's the thing you live for, you will stop loving when you're hungry. You will stop loving when you had a bad night of sleep. You'll start, stop loving when you're tired. And you'll, you'll say, I'm feeling hangry right now. I just can't love. I just haven't eaten. What if we fed on a different source? What if the thing that filled us, what if the thing that gave us meaning, what if the thing that drove us was not approval or comfort or money or any of that stuff, but what if it was Jesus? That's actually the whole thing that Jesus is driving to in this passage. If you keep reading on in John chapter 6, there's this whole conversation that develops because the next day, uh, Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and all the people are like, hey, we need breakfast now too. And so they chase Jesus down, and they start pursuing him, not because they really want him, but because he has breakfast. He has food. Hey, Jesus, we saw this, this food thing you can do. Would you do it again? And Jesus says, you guys are missing the point. You're not getting it. This is not mostly about me providing you physical bread. This is about you seeing that I'm the bread. I'm what you're to feed on. I'm what you're to be fueled by. This is how Jesus says it in John chapter six, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Says, listen, God provided manna through Moses, but all those people eventually died. I'm now the fulfillment of that and if you trust in me, you'll never die. I'm a source that doesn't run out. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus wants us to feed on him, to be fueled by him, to be satisfied in him. And so the kind of final question that that raises for me is how do we do that? How do we feed on Jesus? Busy, fast-paced, lot going on lives. How do we do this? And here's what I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to stop feeding on Jesus like a snake and instead to feed on Jesus like a cow. You ever seen a snake eat? Remember in college, one of my baseball teammates had a snake. Okay. It's one way to live your life, I guess. But it, it was fun because he, he, every like, month or so, would have us come over, and we would watch him feed the snake. And when you see a snake eat, what you see is a snake uh, eats a lot all at once. It's really kind of amazing, actually, when you know the snake's body, and then it's like, oop, that looks like a mouse, and then the rest of the snake. But a snake eats a lot, but rarely, And then doesn't really eat again, isn't really hungry for a long time. And I think that's actually how a lot of Christians try to feed their faith. Some of you are trying to feed your faith that way by just saying, you know what? Every week, I'm going to feed my faith called church. But you know what? It isn't even every week. It's like once or twice a month. Or maybe you go, you know what? I'm going to start this Bible plan. And so January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, you are feeding your faith. (laughs) And next January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, you'll do it again. But, but you, you're not feeding your faith very often. And the problem is so many of the ways we think about it think that the only way to feed your faith has to cost you 90 minutes. It has to be this huge investment of time. It has to be this ginormous Thanksgiving type meal. And I wanna encourage us, what if we could feed our faith not like snakes, but like cows? Cows. You ever see a cow chewing its cud? Do you know why it's doing that? Because cows have multiple stomachs. And so the cows, not only are they kind of grazing all the time, but even when they're not grazing, you still see them chewing the cud. And the reason is because what they've done is they've actually regurgitated some of what they ate, and now they're chewing it some more. And then it'll go back into another stomach, and then... Here it comes, and they'll chew it some more. And so a cow is kind of never not eating. Not eating a lot, right? Cows don't eat like something that's four times their body weight. They just eat a little bit, but they just chew on it all the time. And I, I just wonder if that might be an image for a better way to feed our faith. Instead of just Thanksgiving meal once a month on Jesus, what if we, you know, I was at a baseball game yesterday. The glorious experience of sitting out at a baseball game and eating sunflower seeds. And you're just always chewing them. You're always working on them. You're not getting real full, but you're getting a little bit, and it's salty, and it's barbecue, and it's great. You just work on it. What if that's how we fed our faith? So I'm going to give you some ideas of more cow-like ways to feed your faith. Maybe you know of some snake ways, right? Like you could just read a bunch of the Bible. You could have a great retreat day. You could memorize something. You could have this incredible experience at church. But those are all snake-type ways to feed your faith. They're great, but maybe we need some cow ways too. So let me give you a few cow ways. Here's the first one, is what if you fed your faith through breath prayers? These are just small, repetitive, all-the-time prayers. Here's some of my favorites. God, help me. God, help me. Another one, this has been throughout the church's history, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. God, give me wisdom. God, help me love. God, help me love. God, help me love. Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're enough. Because the reality is I can have some great prayer time, and sometimes I do that in the morning, but most of the time throughout the rest of the day, I forgot about that already. And what I actually need is to go, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, God, help me. Help me, help me. And when you do that, you're feeding on Jesus, but you're doing it like a cow, not like a snake. Maybe another way to feed your faith is through silence. I just want to encourage you this week do, do an audit of your life and try to keep track of in your waking hours how much time is there silence? Meaning no radio no TV no podcast no music no background music just unmediated silence it's not much I'll bet. Well, what if you you tried to say, you know what, I'm going to try to have a couple more of those. Maybe there's like a five-minute window in the morning and a five-minute window in the afternoon where I'm just, I'm not going to listen to anything. I'm not going to fill my head with more stuff. I'm just going to be silent. I'm going to remind myself, Jesus is enough. Maybe another way, and this is one of my favorites, is actually the opposite of that. It's to sing. So there's times when we need silence, but I think there's times when we need celebration. And I know that this is, Kind of personality specific to me, but I'm the guy that you drive next to in the car who is singing at the top of his lungs, and you're making fun of him, and you're thinking, Boy, that guy, what is wrong with him? Here's what's wrong with him. He has no hope without Jesus. He is weak. He's fickle. He is sarcastic and biting and mean without Jesus. That's his deal. And so sometimes you see him driving down the road singing at the top of his lungs because he is desperate to be reminded of Jesus. I realize I don't have a particularly good voice, which is why I do it by myself in the car. Roll the windows up, AC on. But maybe that's another way to feed your faith. Sing, celebrate, remind yourself of the truths of who God is. Now, by all means, keep doing your Bible reading in the morning. By all means, come to church on a regular basis. Be fueled through these worship services. Even the reminder through the bread and the cup that Jesus is the bread of life. By all means, keep doing those things. Don't stop doing those things. But let's also eat like cows. I talked to one guy after the service. He said, you know, we could just eat like humans. I said, what do you mean? He said... Well, we eat multiple times a day. I said, perfect. Eat like a human. But that's less memorable and gross. And so you won't remember it. So I had to do the noise, right? Like, we desperately need Jesus. He's compassionate. He's powerful. He's satisfying. He's humble. And if we feed on him, he will be enough. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for providing far more abundantly beyond all that we've asked and all that we've thought through him. God, we pray that he would be our source, our meaning, our hope, our strength. Pray it in Christ's name, amen. Amen.